You're listening to theoutdoorstation.co.uk. Regular listeners will remember that not so long ago I spoke with Barsha O'Reilly of the Long Riders Guild, based over in the US, and discussed the fascinating and little-known world of long-distance equestrian travel. As part of that interview, Barsha mentioned her trip from Russia of a few years ago, and her husband, Kukulan's own trip through Pakistan, hinting that there was another big trip looming for the intrepid pair. Most outdoor people will be aware of the planning any trip involves, from where, when and why, to how, why not and how much. So imagine the extra work when you also take into account this involves horses, and probably the biggest single recorded trip ever undertaken in this way. Well, the trip will be, believe it or not, the first round-the-world ride, uninterrupted journey. And uh, we're starting in Paris to pay homage to Mikhail Lasseyev, the Cossack who rode there from Kiev. Um, then we're going through uh, Germany and Austria, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, uh, Turkey, Iran, and then the Stans, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, um, Turkestan, and Kazakhstan. Mongolia will follow the pick up the trail of a long rider who rode from Berlin to Japan. So we'll follow his route from um, Mongolia to Japan. Um, and then hop over the sea to ride across Canada, where they have a, um, a horse-friendly route the whole way. And then touch down in Morocco, so we do a bit of Africa. And then across the Straits of Gibraltar, up through Portugal. And because we're, we're going to go to Santiago, um, to say thank you if we've survived, and then back to Paris. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now, this is obviously not a, a few months we're talking about here. No, I think it'll take three or four years. But, but you know, we're not in a hurry. We're not going to dawdle, but we're not in a hurry, so it doesn't matter how long it takes. It'll take as long as it takes in safety. And now, the, the Russian trip that you did, you had a, um, a support vehicle. Mm -hmm. um, and just tell me how you're planning to have your horses. You're, you're presumably buying horses as you go through the different countries, is, is that right? Yes, as, as we always say to everybody, use a native horse. So we will always have native horses who are used to the terrain and everything. So that's the plan. Okay, so, so how many horses are we talking about? Well, I think in Western Europe, uh, we can get away with three, um, two riding horses and a, and a pack horse. But uh, when, if, when we get to places where, you know, it could be long d d trips between um, villages and oats for the horses, for example, then we might take a second pack horse. We'll have to see how it goes. Where do, where do you pick these horses up from? Is it, do, you, do you go to a horse fair as such, or do you use local, local contacts and, and their advice? Well, I think where you've got local contacts, it's uh, certainly a good idea to, to ask their advice. And um, Basically, it's actually quite hard to find a, what we call a good road horse. The, nowadays, they're all bred to you know, jump over sticks or play polo or race or something or endurance. Um, but there are plenty of good horses out there, and they're usually the cheaper ones because they're not so well bred. Um, I, I understand that the, the the trip itself is is the start point is quite interesting as as I believe you're not supposed to ride a horse in Paris. No, apparently it's illegal to ride a horse in Paris nowadays. But uh, our dear friend Jean-Louis Gouraud, who's a Parisian to his fingertips, um, he knows the mayor and he thinks he can fix it for us if we go on a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> interesting starting and stopping and and uh, in in we Paris. Have, have to hurry to get to the outskirts before the end of the day. <laughs> 
Um, well, what sort of equipment? Let's, let's have a look at visualize so people can visualize yourself as you as you leave now. Um, obviously, you've, you've got the normal riding equipment, your saddles and so on. But then, are we talking large saddlebags here and, and, and a pack horse loaded to the gills, or uh, you know, what sort of things do you take with you? No weight, of course, is everything, even on a horse. Um, we will take a tent. We will have one change of clothes, basically, um, one tidy. Um, obviously, we have to take waterproof gear um, and um, a small stove of some kind. Again, I'm not. Uh, they bring out new, tiny, wonderful ones everywhere, um, every day. So we'll see what the latest thing is. And the tent will be quite a big one because we have found that we do want to be able to stand up in what is going to be our home for four years, three or four years. Um, but basically, you need so little. People often start off with hordes and hordes mm. of stuff, and as they go along, they jettison it. And in fact, I know one long rider, an American, um, who refused to carry a throwaway camera because it was an extra you know, four ounces or something. <laughs> Extremes in all sports, yes. don't you? Yeah. Well, but, but you're taking some technology, I understand. You're doing, um, taking the, uh, a laptop and so on. Yes, we'll have a laptop each and a, and a satellite telephone. Um, and probably a solar charger, so we don't have to worry about batteries and so on. And um, we're going to, um, for, well, for one thing, I'm going to be collecting hair samples from the horses I meet along yeah, the way. Yeah, this is all about DNA. Now, tell me what's the story behind this. Well, they, the geneticists have great, or had great sort of gaping holes where they didn't have any, uh, any DNA samples. And since most people believe horses originated in Central Asia, they're particularly keen on getting hair samples from that part of the world. Um, so that's, that is the plan, and um, Colonel Blashford Snell is going to organise the, the storing of, of them. And um, I'm going to give half the samples to the local geneticists so they won't think we're just taking it. But there must be a complete set, you know, of the entire world um, for the geneticists to work on, and they don't even know what they're going to find. But I understand this, one of the theories is that certain um, horses don't get um, conditions which are common in other areas, and it's all uh, they're hoping to sort of see if they can find the background to this from the DNA. Is that right? Yes, and I think we'd better hurry because, um, for example, when West Nile virus first hit, Jeremy James said, "Oh, the Croatian marsh horse is completely immune to any mosquito-borne disease," and we thought, "Hurrah, hurrah! Maybe we can find something." Uh, none left; they'd all been eaten. Um, and Count Pompey, my own horse, comes from an area where they've never heard of laminitis, which I think must be connected with the fact that he will walk away from his meal if I give him too much. Mm. So who knows what they'll find. And, and these, the scientists working on this are, are in, the, in the US and UK? Yes, that's right, one in, one in, one in each. So, um, you know, they'll, I think they'll work very well together. <laughs> they're going to have an awful lot of samples by the time I'm finished. You're, um, you're, you're planning to take in, obviously, a, a lot of towns and villages as you go, uh, and, and cities, presumably, as, as the route takes you through. Um, and you're hoping to, to link uh, children together, school children. Yes. In fact, I, I have to say we, we normally avoid towns, but we're going to we're planning to go to the capital of each country and to talk to the children, the 10-year-olds, um, tell them what we're doing. They can follow us, so that's a nice, fun geography lesson and um, put them in touch with each other so they can see that, you know, little children in Turkey are just the same as little children in Canada. Mm. And promoting sort of harmony and, and relationships that way. Exactly. I understand you've actually written a, a book for children on, on this sort of subject matter. 
Yes, I wrote a fictionalised version of my journey from Russia, um, and the next one is going to be a wonderful book by um, George Young Husband, um, where he made a long ride in Burma on Joe the Naughty Pony, and that's going to be a wonderful one for children because it was such a naughty pony, and it was only 12 hands or something, and that's a really funny book, and I think it'll make a good book for children. They do, I mean, there's certainly a great um, demand for entertaining books for, for, for youngsters uh, in the equestrian area, isn't there? Yes, there is, and uh, one of our most successful books is um, A Tale of Two Horses by Amy Chifferley. Um, they, they just still love it, even today whatever it is, 80 years later. So that's, that's a good seller. The, the, the publishing aspect of your, of your activities obviously helps in the actual funding of a, of, a, of a project like this in the sense that while you're away for certainly that length of time, at least uh, it's, I think people need to know that you do have a trickle of an income coming in, hopefully, to bail you out should you need it. Exactly so. I mean, it's, a, it's taken us a long time to set it all up and it's been very hard work. But um, if you like, it's our pension. I mean, we, 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 I'm earning money sitting here right now with those books, so that's, which is wonderful. Mm. Excellent. The, the, but a, a trip like this is obviously going to cost a lot of money uh, in, in many aspects. If nothing else, that's probably the setting up the starting as opposed to, as you say, the, the day-to-day running costs when you're in the, in the uh, equestrian-friendly countries, should we say, the cheaper countries. Um, are you looking at sponsorship at all? Uh, yes, we we are. We're we're in talks with somebody about that. But um, people do sometimes get sponsors, but they're usually more uh, ready to give gear, such as a saddle or easy boots or you know hoof boots, um, rather than actual money. But. Of course, nowadays things are so different because there's the internet. Well, yes, I mean, I talk to a lot of people who, who, who do various trips and, and they all are seeking sponsorship in some form or other and, and generally the, the generalisation does seem to appear to be that equipment is the first thing that's coming rather than finances, which is, which is understandable because the, the companies want to promote their, their products and their activities. Um, however, I, I do feel sometimes that they don't realise, um, the, the potential sponsor doesn't realise just how big a, an audience he's getting his message out to um, um, when you're using their products on a, on a worldwide stage and certainly on, on a trip like this. Yes, exactly. I mean, you know, one would be able to give back a lot um, now in, the, in this internet age, as you say. And uh, so especially a big company that has, you know, many, uh, is in many countries would benefit rather more. Um, but we'll have to see. Are you, are you planning to, you know, again, sort of to offset the funding of something like this by, by, by doing a book as you go along or a book at the end, do you think? Cacullen is a brilliant writer. Um, he really writes so beautifully that I'm certainly not going to do anything. But yes, he will. He will write a book, and it will be a, I think, a very special book. Not just. And then we got up and got very cold and couldn't have to find a martini. You know, it'll be a good book. That's for sure. I should imagine martinis are a bit thin on the ground, really. <laughs> yes, I never found any, but I don't like it, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're back to the practicalities, people listening to this for the first time. Um, you know, once you've, you've left the, the, um, the dens of iniquities and the, the, the city centres, as it were, and you're actually out in the, in the wilds, um, is it a fairly easy routine that you slip into and uh, everything's looking after the horses and the pack horses and yourself and, and going, oh, what, what do you locally, do you, do you buy local produce or do you take, um, you know, freeze-dried food, should we say? Oh, no, that's much too expensive. <laughs> um, and obviously the locals are always eating something. The only thing I would tend to carry as well would be something like rice, so that even if I can't find 
anything anywhere then we can still we won't starve mm. um but yes the, well, the routine is important you know start early um be nice to everybody finish early um shop when necessary obviously we have to wash um so we tend to uh, we don't actually recommend washing in streams because then you put soap in the stream mm. so um water in a bucket uh, it's amazing how clean you can be with remarkably little water <laughs> <laughs> and and is there anything that you you don't eat you found over the years? Anything I don't eat? Yes, that you've picked up sort of as you pass through the countries. No, uh, no. The best way to be, I should imagine. <laughs> exactly. With a with a, a route or with with um, a trip like this, obviously uh, many people who are perhaps doing shorter trips of, of a few hundred miles, should we say, or walking and kayaking, whatever, would study maps and plan things in great great detail. But this is obviously. A very very large way. What what do you do as regards route planning? Well, we're going to start with the way anybody would get a map of each country and study it. But that's not much help. You know, maps are liars. They don't tell you how wide the verge is. <laughs> they don't tell you how dangerous the bridge is, for example. And so, uh, to a certain extent, we're going to use Google Earth, so that, that will give us a better idea and towns to avoid and all that kind of thing. I think the greatest fear for any long rider is, is bridges right. because either they're wobbly ones, you know, floating planks, which is what I had in Russia, um, or it, it's a busy road and people are impatient. Um, so I used to look and see a blue line on the map and go, oh no, it's a bridge, it's a bridge. <laughs> We, I mean, in this country, we're, we're very fortunate in having Ordnance Survey and everything, every inch is mapped to nth degree, um, which is a blessing as well as a curse, I, I guess, because I'm, I'm trying to visualise how I would plan such a route um, based on the fact that you have so much information presented to us in, in this country, certainly when you're looking for bridleways and so on, uh, and where you can't go, and there's a lot of where you can't and where you can go. But I just get the feeling that you're, you, you, you enter a country and presumably you, you know that you have pretty well free access and you just plan to go from point A to point B. Yes, I mean, we need to plan, we need to be quite precise where we go into the country because um, of the horses. But, um, you know, we can ask people. This is why I'm busy learning Bulgarian. <laughs> um, you know, you can ask people who say, you know, I, we, we want to get to the next country. Um, you know, can you recommend a, a, a safe route for horses, or is it all because we don't want to go down the M1? You know, mm. um, so it's as I say, it's got to be really well planned in advance. But then you've got to be prepared to be flexible if you find that what's on the ground wasn't what you were expecting. Uh, again, back to the internet. Is is the internet proving to be your friend in in something like this from the planning stage? Yes, it is. It is. I mean, between the internet and Google Earth, which I suppose is the internet, um, you know, we know a lot more about where we're going to be than we would have done ten years ago. Um, I guess that when you, you you buy the horses and so on, you you, they, you don't have them as have a set job one to one to ride and one to pack. They you actually rotate the horses to to, to sort of make it fair and equal for, amongst all of them as well. Well, some people actually do just have a riding horse and a pack horse, but I just don't think that's very fair because the pack horse is always carrying the dead weight, um, and you can get off your riding horse if it's very hot or. Um, you're going downhill or something, you can get off the riding horse, but you, you know, the pack horse is condemned to carry that pack till the end of the day. Mm. So it is kinder to rotate, I think. They, they, they both need the same kind of temperament. Um, so why not? Mm.
The the when it comes to the to the, the roots and, and such, um, Google Earth can certainly give a certain amount of information. Uh, and as you say, the the people uh, on the ground, if they're used to that sort of terrain and used to sort of travelling um, with a horse, they will be able to advise you. But I, I'm guessing that as things develop um, over the years, that um, people are starting to lose connection with the with travelling in this way. Absolutely, yes. I mean, they they still have. That tradition, I was in Mongolia once and I decided to walk a hundred yards um, and I had about ten Mongolians rushing up to me saying, you can't walk a hundred yards, here's a horse, this is what the horse is for. But as you say, here um, it's regarded as rather eccentric to want to travel somewhere on a horse, so I guess it, it will just get, I don't know, I don't know if it will get better or worse, what happens when we run out of petrol? Mm. Mm. Well, of course. I mean, being based currently in the, in the US at the moment, that, that must be a nightmare because everybody goes everywhere with a car. Oh, absolutely. If you're not in a vehicle of some kind, you're treated with complete contempt. I even had a friend who said somebody tried to run him over when he was jogging, and the horse uh, just has to be well-behaved in traffic, which is, what, of course, what you need in a long-rider horse anyway. Mm. Um, I, I daren't bicycle to the stables, which I could easily. It's only five miles, but it's the main road, and I'd just be mown down. It's very sad. Yes, yeah, horrendous. Do you think? I mean, you, you've had your 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 previous ride um, a few years ago, and Cucullin had his uh, sometime before that. Um, I wonder how much of the ride do you think you'll spend actually reflecting on how things have changed? I did, to be honest, I don't think things will have changed very much. The way we're going, um, you know, we'll have the laptops, obviously, and, and the solar panel and the satellite telephone, but actually getting in the saddle every day and riding for 20 miles or so will be identical as to what it was 400 years ago. I was thinking more of the, perhaps, attitude from the, from the local people and, and their expectations of you. I think it's, it depends. I mean, if they're horsemen, then they'll be happy to see us and that, that, that'll be the end of it. They'll be amazed at our equipment. I'm, I'm sure once we get to the depths of the stands, but but then maybe not. For all I know, maybe everybody in Mongolia's got a laptop now. I mean, I haven't been for a long time. Time ch things change quite fast, but the experience of riding will be the same. I'm sure. Mm. And uh, sort of, how many horses do you, do you think that the, the trip will entail? Because I know you're changing from European horses, as it were, as you go further uh, further east. It, that I really don't know. I mean, at the moment, all I know is that I'll keep uh, Count Pompey while we're in the EU and then have him taken care of um, and we'll just have to see how we get on, what kind of horses we find, if they're any good. Um, I really, I cannot say, but there'll be mountain horses in mountains and, um, so we'll have to see. That remains to be seen. The, the temperament of a horse must be uh, very important. Um, so what do you look for when you choose a horse for, for this sort of activity? Yes, you're right, the temperament is the most important thing. They've got to be you know, quiet and sensible in traffic. They've got not to mind being in a different place every night. They've got to not to mind drinking out of a different stream every night. Um, and if the food has to be changed, they, they don't mind. Um, they, they just need to be sensible. That's, that's the most important thing, I think, whether they're pack horse or riding horse. Of course, they'll they'll work out their own herd dynamic, and the the boss will be the boss, and the pecking order will be obeyed. And woe be the rider who doesn't take a note of this, because if two horses are devoted to each other, then you've simply got to ride one and lead the other, and not let it go off um, with somebody else or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, you you your lives depend on these horses. You have to get the right ones. 
So how long does it, does it take for that relationship to really develop and, and you understand the horses that you're riding, particularly when you pick horse, new horses up, as it were, and they settle into your routine and you settle into their, into their dynamics? It doesn't take an awfully long time. I think, to be fair, it probably depends on how good a horseman you are and how um, sympathetic, and I hope everybody is before they set off on a journey. Um, but, the, you know, it's, pre it's pretty quick to see whether this one shies or, you know, that one's always dragging behind or whatever. It doesn't take long. And what about, what about pacing? I know a lot of horse riders would ask the question, you know, what sort of pace do you set for, for something like this? Because it's so big, you, don't, you wouldn't want to go charging at it. At the same time, you'd, it, it wouldn't want to be too slow. No, they, they actually get very bored if you just walk. Um, they like to break it up with a trot here and there, but that reinforces the fact that um, the, the pack saddle must be as light as possible. Um, we reckon about £100, depending on the, the size of the horse, obviously. Um, so, but yes, I mean, they enjoy trotting and cantering, but when you can, just as I say, not that often. <laughs> mm. I mean, re relationships, obviously, I know with, with, uh, with horse riders and their horses, it can be very, very close and very passionate thing, and you can build up uh, a wonderful respect for the character that you've spent a lot of time with. Um, how, how do, what does it feel like when it comes to that point when you have to depart this particular horse and move on to the next one, as it were? How do you ensure it's, it, it has a good retirement or whatever? It's agony. I can only say it is absolute agony. The only, only thing is if you know that you can't keep it, then you, although you don't get any less close to it, at least it's not a shock um, when you finally get to it. And yes, finding a horse a good home is um, never easy. So, so how do you do that physically when you're in a, in a strange country and you've come to the border, as it were? Well, I haven't had to do it yet. Um, but yes, I mean, and I think the thing would be for the last few days to, um, to talk to people and say, look, you know, we're doing this and in a few days we'll be at the border. Would you like to buy the horses? If you, but it's always important to see how, what sort of state their horses are in, mm. um, before you, before you let them go. Mm. So yes, it's, it, it is the hardest part about the whole thing is, is just saying goodbye. It's dreadful. On a, long, on a long trip like this, most people would certainly think that insurance would be a, a bit of a priority uh, to, to cover themselves. Um, is it possible to get insurance on something as, as big as this, covering the world in the way that you're doing it? Well, not from a normal um, insurance agency, I wouldn't think, but um, places like Lloyd's of London, they, they do strange things like this. Um, but, of course, you don't want to insure against everything. You can't. Mm. But it is a good idea to have the horses insured, so if something goes wrong, you can replace them without sticking your hand back in your pocket. Um, everywhere you go, you will find doctors and vets. Um, so whether to insure yourself or not, I honestly don't know. I didn't in the past, but now I'm getting older, perhaps I should. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the trip, I believe, is, is going to take place and, and, and kick off at, uh, during the year sometime. Yes, we hope to set off in summer of this year. And is it going to be a big, um, a big launch, flags, banners, and so on? Uh, I think that's rather a hostage to fortune. I think I'd rather have the big launch when we get back, <laughs> if we've survived <laughs> it. The celebration when you arrive. Yes. There's a lot of people who have said they'd like to ride into Paris with us at the end, so that would be, that would be great to have You could one. stop the traffic. Could you imagine it? Mm. Oh, fantastic. That'll go down well with the mayor. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, you, you've, you've obviously, with your experience and Cacullin's experience and the experience of others in the, the Long Riders Guild, which I must mention the website, which is thelongridersguild.com, you've accumulated a lot of information, uh, which I'm sure will be of, 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 of great interest to certain people thinking or wanting to do a trip like this, uh, and also people who've got more than a passing interest in actually taking a, a horse and doing a, a longer route. Have you accumulated it in, in a way that they can have access to in hard form? Yes, Cacullen is just finishing the Horse Travel Handbook, which will contain more information, I think, than has ever been gathered together before. Um, we also have the Horse Travel Journal, which is so people can write their own, <laughs> their own story. Um, but the handbook will also be an e-book, so people can download it in the middle of nowhere when they can't actually get to a bookshop. That's quite a good idea, I never thought about that, because if you're halfway through a trip or you're in the process of doing a trip and you suddenly think, oh, I could do with this, you don't have to have it uh, shipped to your home. That's right, or you, you may only just find out about it while you're you know, in the middle of Turkey, for example. So I think that's an important one, and of course that will also enable people to search for something they particularly want. I mean, obviously there's going to be contents and index, but just to, just to use search go quickly to what you want to learn about would be great. Mm, absolutely. Well, Basha, I wish you and Kukulun the uh, the best of luck on your trip. I would love to talk to you either at some stage during the trip or certainly after if we're still doing this, which I hope we are. And uh, I wish you and, and your horses a safe and enjoyable adventure. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. If you wish to find out more about the Long Riders Guild, then drop by their website at thelongridersguild.com and I'm sure the details of their trip will whet your appetite for long-distance travel and adventure no matter how you wish to travel. Thanks to Barsha once again for taking the time and sharing their plans with us. As always, it's a pleasure to speak with people who just get out there and do it. Remember, sometimes life is too short not to. This independent programme has been brought to you by the Outdoors Station.co.uk.